Wowzer, browser. Hello, handsome. Or should I say, Buffalo handsome. This June 18th, mosey on down to Veterans Memorial Stadium, the vet, for our Father's Day Farm Fest, featuring a full set from the Grammy Award-winning band Old Crow Medicine Show. The boys will take on the Houston Saber Kittens in our regular season finale. Be sure to get there early, take advantage of the Barbecue and Beer Fest, and the Free Jacks Golden Oldies Cup. It's going to be one heck of a day, partner. Get your tickets at freejacks.com. Roll the show. Former U.S. National Rugby Team Captain. Team Captain. Head Coach and General Manager. General Manager. Now, the co-founder and CEO of the New England Free Jacks. Now. Now. Full Contact CEO with Alex Magleby. Hey, Full Contact CEO fam. Today's episode was recorded back in November just after the first Hong Kong Sevens tournament had taken place since the pandemic. You'll hear firsthand update on the tournament and what it was like after that crazy long hiatus. That's right. Hey, everyone. Thanks for joining Full Contact CEO today. I am your host, Alex Magleby. I'm also co-founder and CEO of the High Flying New England Free Jacks and Heritage Sports Ventures. Today, I'm joined by Mr. Max Woodward. He's represented Hong Kong in both Sevens and Fifteens in rugby. He's the current captain of the Sevens team. The Hong Kong Sevens, of course, just returned last week after a three-year hiatus, and that is the granddaddy of rugby tournaments. He is also the co-founder of the Tin Shed HK and a shareholder in Biltong Cafe. So I'm super excited to hear those entrepreneurial experiences. If you haven't been following him on Instagram, this man has traveled the world for business and pleasure and is well-known for fitting an entire gym into his quarantine hotel room. Welcome to Full Contact CEO Max. Great to have you. That's a great intro, mate. Thank you very much. It's, it's good to finally get a chat in. We're going to do a quick word game. Just the first thing that comes to mind. Okay, I'll say a word or a couple words and just whatever comes to mind. The South Stand. Chaos. LKF. The Revelry. NTT Shining Arcs. Uh, fond memories. When did you play? When did you play in Japan? When was that? A 20... 17 i played a season there that was unfortunately cut short due to injury which we can we, we might we might dive into i'm sure at some point okay cool so are you originally from hong kong uh yeah i was born here so my family moved over here with the british forces in 1987 i was born 1990 lived here for seven years then upon the handover, we moved to Cyprus, interestingly enough, which is where I first started playing rugby, rugby league, actually. We stayed there for four years. Then I came, we came back to Hong Kong and then did high, high school in Hong Kong. I studied. Oh, nice. What year did you come back to Hong Kong? We came back in 2001. So we had four years in Cyprus after 97, then Hong Kong for the high school. Nice. That was my first year playing in Hong Kong it was 2001. I mean, I played and coached in that. It's the, it's the world's greatest venue and experience the hong kong seven what a high school did you go to a west island school so it's on the sort of south side of hong kong island english schools foundation west island school yeah in lam it's a it's sort of very multicultural people from all over the world but we've kind of those type of schools you might as well have gone to school in england we kind of did all the same exams and that sort of thing sort of very much is still a, a runoff of hong kong's colonial past with british rule and things like that okay i mean we, we used to go teach rugby 
during the international week. And I wonder if we ever went to that high school and we crossed paths. That would be pretty cool. So you started playing rugby, rugby league in Cyprus. And then when you got back to Hong Kong, is that when you picked up uni? Uh, yeah. So school, I mean, in Hong Kong, minis and uh, it's really, really big, like kids, sort of kids to Colts rugby under, under sort of sevens is thousands of kids playing every Sunday up to under under sort of 16 so then we start to lose it a bit but I, I played for school and my club was, that's why i really started getting into rugby and some eighth grade things as well like we, we were lucky enough to have hong kong represent us stuff and from under 16s up to under 20s yeah what, what was your club what is your club 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 so minis club was hong kong football club and then senior club i moved to a club called valley kind of like they're kind of like rivals so at the, sure. at the time it was like um a bit of a change and that, that came with a bit of stick, but it's all good competitive nature of, of the sport. Yeah. I mean, I'm really impressed with the, the whole Hong Kong scene in general. Like every time I've been there, you're right. Like there's minis playing everywhere and it's like a whole day of rugby kids. The parents are playing and everything in between it, which, which, which is quite cool. How does that work now? Are you, do you play for Valley while you're also representing the national team? How does that work? Are you just, do you have to focus solely on, kind of the bubble of the national team yeah it's a bit of both really so contractually we're we're all we're all centrally contracted to play sevens for hong kong so we're all based out of a sports institute with a big big focus on sevens but ultimately we do we are we are obliged to play 15s for hong kong and for our clubs if the time allows at the moment the a lot of the schedule is is clashing so uh, uh, hong kong are playing the usa in a few days i think in 15s actually so in normal circumstances, we'd be playing, but because of the clash with everything at the moment, we're solely focused on sevens. In the new year, I think we'll look to go back and play for our clubs as much as we can, and then refocus back into sevens come come April, March for Hong Kong again. So, how does that? So, the priority for the union then is is sevens. So, the team, the fifteen aside team that's playing in the World Cup qualifier right now, how do they decide if? You know, people in your shoes are going to play for that or not, or is it just because the Hong Kong Sevens was last weekend? You're not flying to Dubai yeah, to play I mean, on that team now. It, yeah, it's it's Sevens is definitely the main focus, just because of Olympic cycles and Asian Games cycles are where what determines all our funding. So, without without successful runs in the Asian Games or the Asian Series we won't have any money in Hong Kong rugby. So sevens has to be that main focus. Traditionally in the past, we've been able to do it all, but the timing for this particular block of the season is just, yeah. it's like when it rains, it pours, like no tournaments for two years. And then suddenly it, it just comes thick and fast across all, all the disciplines. So it's definitely just, it's definitely sevens takes precedence, really. Have you found the rugby has changed as politics have changed of Hong Kong? Is it is it different? Is it gr- is it less than? It's an interesting question. I, I think it's definitely a struggle because Hong Kong is losing its definitely losing its allure as a as a sort of destination for expatriates to come. So traditionally, especially the fifteen side and 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 the seven side to some extent has relied on guys coming over to Hong Kong, getting residency, and then playing for Hong Kong after three years and then now world rugby changing that to five years so there's definitely rugby has definitely taken a a a hit as hong kong has become perhaps more 
local or, or, or China focused. Having said that, though, we still have a lot of guys on the team who, who do have Hong Kong, Hong Kong passports, which there's still generationally, I think we're not really starting to see that move because like people my age were all born in Hong Kong and we're still sort of playing. And, and as I reach my sort of twilight years now, that, that what, what might change is our kids being born in Hong Kong to the extent that they were 20 to 30 years ago. I'm not sure, but it, right. in terms of like right now, I think it's, it's holding on okay. But I think in the future, it's going to be a bit of a challenge. Yeah, there was some in the, in the mid-90s before the, the handover, what was that, 98, this national team, there used to be the Pac Rim you know, 15 championship with U.S., Canada, Japan, mm. Fiji, Samoa, Tonga, and Hong Kong. There were some really good Hong Kong sides. I think as well, perhaps in those days, the eligibility criteria was somewhat looser. You could rock up with your yeah. boots and play for Hong Kong, you know, and so I think it becomes a bit more of a challenge. Yeah, yeah, completely, exactly. Have you found that the event itself, the Hong Kong Sevens, has changed? Mate, it's really. I'm. I'm really glad we're speaking after because I have to. Say, I have to. To be to be frank, I. I really. The Sevens blew me. Blew me away in terms of how good it was. I really was reluctant personally going in. There's a lot of arbitrary sort That's of COVID awesome. rules. There's a lot of negative sent sentiment about Hong Kong, and it was a really, really fantastic event. It was unbelievable. It, so just, just a bit of sort of background there is the, they sold 30,000 tickets only to people in Hong Kong. Bear in mind, the capacity is wow. 38,000 and usually 20,000 people come in from overseas. So this tournament was predominantly local focused. A lot of local Hong Kong Chinese in the, in the stands wearing Hong Kong jerseys cheering for Hong Kong. There's an element of politics there as well, which is actually quite interesting about an identity of Hong Kong, which would be cool to chat about maybe, but the sevens was, was fantastic. It was locally supported. People were really, really enthusiastic to cheer for Hong Kong and just honestly craving for a bit of a sort of loosening of things and just having a good time. And it was, it was, it was incredible. It really, really was special. That's awesome. You look back at what ninety eight the handover, right? And my understanding is a lot of expats couldn't travel in for the tournament that year, and that was the first time they really marketed to the local population, and that's what's really made it as strong as it's been over the last twenty plus years. And it's great to hear that, you know, that then took another step forward with with the, the local population. You mentioned the identity of Hong Kong. Is that are you saying the identity of, of the city? Are you saying the identity of the team? Are they connected? What is the identity of Hong Kong anymore? Yeah, I mean, so that that's really the crux of it, to be honest with you. The 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 issue with China uh, sort of flexing its influence in Hong Kong is there has definitely been an erosion of a Hong Kong identity as as it becomes more of a part of China, and generationally that that's a, that's a worry for people. I think further down the line, you know, if someone's having their kids now, their identity as a Hong Konger is being eroded. And that, that causes a lot of anguish, I think, in Hong Kong at the moment. And the fact that we were, the sevens, we were able to represent Hong Kong and play against other countries as Hong Kong, not China, becomes very special and powerful for people. You saw it a little bit during the protests. The soccer team actually in Hong Kong became a vehicle for supporting Hong Kong. And we 
I felt a little bit of that energy with the rugby team, to be honest, at the stadium, which is cool because it's like the, you, you're, you're able to identify with the identity of Hong Kong and people are quite proud of that. Hong Kongers are very proud and like they're proud of the city. They're proud of being distinctive as Hong Kong, not China. And that's, that's pretty special. But that's not mutually exclusive to, yes, proud of its Chinese roots and proud of its expats roots and what's made it such a great global, fantastic city historically. Certainly in my experience, you know, that it, it, it's a very, one of my favorite places to be and have been. And I, and I just really hope that that continues as, as, the, as the political winds shift, that it still has that um, very eclectic feel to it, which is, which is awesome. I've always really loved it's, and it's got an entrepreneurial spirit, which is always very, very exciting. It, it, you know, when you're around the city and there's a lot of buzz, which is which is very cool. And I just hope that as things continue to change, that that core identity stays intact. And do you think that's the case, or do you think you know you mentioned that you know some time in the future, do, do you stay there? Do you end up someplace else? Do you yeah, raise I mean, your family someplace that's else? That's the that's the that's the question I'm asking myself on a daily basis. You know, like I. I completely agree with you that the nature of Hong Kong as a city is definitely based in an amalgamation of all of what you've just said, which is spot on. It's like the, the, you have the, the multicultural past, you have the distinctive Cantonese, Southern Chinese heritage as well. Like you, you, it's, it's, it's really cool. I guess for me, and I think and I, to, to, to double down on that, Hong Kongers are very resilient. They, they, people in Hong Kong really just get on with stuff. And they're, they're pretty resilient in Hong Kong. And I think it'll always retain that sort of hub status. And I think we're going to come out of, of COVID and, and all in a, in a good way. Personally, I'm, I'm probably looking at moving on potentially after I finish playing rugby. I'm not sure. I'm not sure where yet. It, it would be very difficult. As a sort of third culture kid, as an expat kid, you're, it's hard to sort of have your own identity because you don't. I'm not really British, but I'm not also not really from Hong Kong. So I'm kind of like stuck in the middle. And then that, that's a question I have to ask myself as to like where I want to go after. So I have to, I have probably have to get back to you on that with a, with a more detailed answer when I know. Well, it's a great thing about rugby. You've been able to travel the world and, and see so many, so many parts of the world. Do, do you use rugby then to, you know, get a professional contract, you know, kind of move off from the national team commitments, you know, spend time settling into one, another country for a bit and test that out? Yeah, I definitely think, you know, like my, my identity is rolled up all in rugby some way or another, uh, through coaching or through training, like the gym and things like that. That's, that's sort of my passion on the side. And it's definitely something I'd use to, to move forward and to, to like build something after rugby for sure. What's your past? Do you think, I mean, right now you're playing rugby, completely committed to this at the same time, you've started these other entrepreneurial adventures. Can you walk us through? What what you're doing nowadays outside of obviously kicking butt on the world stage? Yeah, so I, I have a few side gigs. I'm a personal trainer. Kind of just went into that through a lot of injuries in rugby and and sort of n needing to learn how to rehab myself and train myself, and that kind of just engendered a bit of a passion in, in strength training and and fitness. I opened up a little a little sort of mini gym slash converted shed in the village that I live in in Hong Kong that I, I take some clients in and like that's where I film a lot of my stuff for online training as well and things like that so that that takes most of my time other than that I'm like jetting around Hong Kong finding cool coffee spots going for good food and, and trying to enjoy the city as much as I can but rugby and training take up most of my most of my life 
can segue a little bit into the sort of coffee built on cafe if you'd like. Were you just like, I like these two things, and so therefore, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So like, I and then I, I'm, I'm a big advocate of yeah. the of a sort of carnivore keto style of a diet. And my friend owns a South African meat company who then opened, who was opening a cafe with a built-on deli and asked if I wanted to get involved. And I was like, yeah, sweet. That's, that's kind of like everything that I like. Let's crack on with that. And then, so just, I'm more of a, a silent investor there. I mean, I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure I've made my investment back just from buying discounted red meat from the shop, to be honest, but it's, it's, so it's worthwhile for me. That's awesome. Meat and espresso. Oh. And you can't beat it. I mean, you're obviously super fit. What's from a, from a diet point of view, you mentioned that big believer in kind of the carnivore. Is that, is that how you manage even with rugby? Are you, are you walk us through kind of your performance diet? I mean, it's kind of like a loaded term these days in the, in the diet space. Everyone like it. But what I, from what I understand, like, and from what, from reading and just sort of like testing on myself, I feel like in terms of getting bang for your buck, red meat and a high saturated fat diet is, is probably the, the best in terms of getting towards your body composition goals. So basing your, so getting the majority of your calories from high quality red meat with a high fat content is going to satiate you quicker and you'll end up sort of almost eating less volume over time if you're consuming those quality calories from red meat. It's kind of like my idea behind it. It's a little bit different from an athletic point. I think you need to make sure you're, you are consuming good levels of carbohydrates if you are looking for if one of your goals is athletic performance, but you know, getting that from fruits also also feasible. But that's where where sort of I've I've lent into a little bit with with my eating and and sort of my body composition goals after a while. So to follow on from you, for for my my advice for you would be to focus around some some like good quality red meat and some fruit and limiting limiting anything else outside of that process wise and that's brilliant. And I live on a farm, so this is perfect. That's the one, mate. That's the that's the dream. <laughs> that would be that more. would be a good that would be a good set vibe for me. Rugby. Yeah, you got to come visit us here in New England. You got into a lot of the the fitness stuff because you've had multiple injuries. You've done your ACL not once, a couple of times, three times. Oh, same same, same knee. knee, or do you like alternate? No, take they, turns. Uh, they don't stand. They don't share the boat, unfortunately, selfishly, which would be a little bit, a little bit better. But the, you know, uh, so that's how I got into it really. So I, I actually don't have an ACL now. I've been playing without one for the last eight years or so. Is that painful? No, it's okay. It's like you, you, it's just like you, you have to focus around the stability of the knee and like your, your, you know, that's basically what kind of brought me into this obsessive almost obsessive desire to learn about training and things like that. It's like after a couple of surgeries, I was like, you know what? The surgery's not not working. Let, let's try an alternative route. And you can sort of pursue conservative treatment in that regard. And, and as long as you're working the stabilizers around the knee, your hamstrings, your quads, you know, your range, like working on your flexibility, you know, being strong and stable around there, you can, you can, you can get by. That's also somewhat unique to me. It's not medical advice so like i'm not i don't want to be telling people to not tell yeah. tell your surgery surgeon to go away i listen to some bloke on a podcast and says don't do it so but it is like there is alternative ways to, to treat a cruciate than just re rehabbing and like i've been successful with other injuries re, re, with conservative rehabilitation so hey, hang on how do you 
how do you advise people? I mean, doing an ACL, that's, you know, at best a six month, but most likely a year plus recovery. You know, that's, that's significant. That puts people off of their entire career, if not ends it. I mean, having to have had done that three times, I mean, what's your advice to people to like get back on that horse and make it, make it happen again? Yeah. I think it's, that's it's always easy. difficult, you know, like it's probably my advice would be, you know, definitely to talk to your physio and think about what type of player you are. If you're, if you're light and you're quick and you're young and you need your lateral ability, you probably want to get it looked at and reconstructed. But outside of that, like you're, you know, never, never neglect this sort of your, your quad work. You've got to do the boring stuff. You've got to do the flex. You've got to do the range of motion stuff. You've got to just keep, and it's, and it's like a, okay. especially it is a lifelong process. To be honest, if you want to be playing sport, you just have to be diligent with your, with your rehab and like get it part of your routine as, as much as possible, you know? And like, it, it's a, it's a commitment to looking after your, your needs. Yeah. When you're in quarantine, which you've had to do a bunch, you know, will you literally bring in a full gym into your hotel room? How do you manage that? Two weeks in a hotel. It's pretty close. So I get like, uh, you can get someone to drop stuff off at the bottom. I mean, the hotel staff must absolutely detest me because we rock up to the hotel and then I'll call up and be like, if someone, one of my mates is dropping stuff off, do you mind if you bring it up? And they were like, yeah, yeah, sure, no worries. Little do they know it's a barbell with 80 kilos of weight and a watt bike and a rowing machine. So it's a bit of a bit more admin than bringing, bringing a, a you got a good friend for a yeah. yeah yeah exactly yeah so look, like we a lot of times we were quarantining in between tournaments and things like that so like a piece of a piece of cardio equipment and a barbell and and you're honestly all set for a like a fitness staycation it's amazing are they ever just at the hotel being like we can't have that much weight on our floor yeah it, i mean it is like to be honest with you the, the quarantine arrangements in Hong Kong are so frustrating and so black and white that by the end of it, 14 days in a hotel room is no, is honestly like looking back on it now, it's, it's, it's almost laughable to think that they were allowed to do that. But like, I'm, but this is like people that haven't traveled in and out of Hong Kong don't realize that this is like properly in one bedroom. It's not, it's not, you're not in the hotel. You're not like wandering around the hotel. You're yeah, you can't leave. My understanding is like you're in you're prison. You're in a bedroom. Yeah, you're not like walking around the yeah. hotel. And like it's like, you know, you, you can't really get much light in. There's not, you know, the windows aren't opening that that wide. Like it, it's like, so by the end of it, I was like, I don't really, look, look, I'm really sorry to the hotel staff, but this is the predicament and I need this to, to, to stay fit and keep sane. And like we ended up one of the comical ones I had on Instagram was we actually quarantined with three lads in with three other lads in two adjoining rooms for seven days. And so we were literally like in bed in bed next to each other. And then every morning we'd flip the beds up, open the communal door, get the Watt bike out, get the rowing machine out. And it was yeah. it, you know, it was quite it's like a basically like a fitness slumber party. What did you do to stay sane for two weeks in a small little tiny hotel room? Routine was key for me, you know, like breaking up the day, cooking and having coffees, you know, like having, having strict meal times where you wake up, you have your morning routine, you, you cook breakfast, you brew a coffee, you have, you do something, you have lunch and then you have dinner. Those break up the day without, without like those meal times that are just all mold into one two week 
block of torture, which was which is hard. My, but yeah. keep routine was the key, really. To be honest with you, I mean, you can say that about life, right? Mate, completely, completely. You're, you're you're bang on. Like it, like you need to have those markers. You know, people think like that. Sort of, it's it's sort of that whole freedom. Like, did you need discipline to be truly free? You know, like you, you, then you. If you're just floating around and nothing's happening. My wife reminds me of that every day. Put structure and that gives you freedom. Completely. Completely. Max, we're going to jump into the rapid fire. I'm just going to ask a question and let it rip. Yeah, sweet. Best night out in Hong Kong. Scooter night out every Christmas. We go on scooters and go on a pub crawl across all the 7-Elevens. Guarantee everyone will have a good time if you come on that. 7-Elevens, really? Yeah, so you get on we every quick. What, why are the Seven Eleven? Because they're all, they're all over Hong Kong, and you go. We do like Seven Eleven golf. And it's called Club Seven Eleven, and you can buy like drinks for no- nothing, but like really, really cheap. And you just hop to all the Seven Elevens and go on a big tour. This is amazing. Oh, that sounds so fun. Okay, next time I come out, we're gonna do that. Hundred percent. Favorite dish, street food in Hong Kong. Do you have a favorite yeah. meal? The hands down. Anyone, anyone has to have this. They'll, they'll, they'll be sold forever. It's a char siu fan. It's called in Cantonese, which is barbecue, honey roasted barbecue pork and rice. Oh, yeah. And you can get it like all over Hong Kong on the street. And it's like, it, uh, it's called char siu fan, which is like a barbecue, yeah, bar- a barbecue pork and rice. And it's like, it's like five US dollars and you get like a massive bowl of rice with roasted meat and then a bowl of broth. And it's just the staple. It's incredible. That sounds so good right now. Amazing. So speaking of, the Hong Kong Sevens is kind of the granddaddy of all tournaments. There are so many of these Rugby Sevens, Rugby Tens tournaments throughout you know, Southeast Asia. Why are they so popular? It's a good question. I mean, I think like you, the people in Asia, just Asia is just very good at hospitality for one. Like, you know, like there's, there's always like class hotels, like the service industry is great. Honestly, like location and weather as well plays a massive part. You know, you're, you're, you're traveling to, you know, like beautiful parts of the world. You know, it's, it's hot, it's sunny. People are all there to have a good time and, and play, play and that, that, and everyone's there to buy in. It's, it's brilliant. And it's always an event. You know what I mean? Like it's not like, it's not just like a Saturday game. Like everyone, it's a big event and everyone buys in. And that's like yeah. what makes Hong Kong so special as well. Yeah, everybody's traveling to it. It's, it's awesome. If, what what are your thoughts on Major League Rugby? I honestly looking looking from the outside in it it, it looks it looks very cool like it it's obviously it's obviously got a long way to go in terms of getting the American public to buy in a bit more to the sport but like from from the outside looking in I know a few guys that play there like it it it's, it can only go one way which is like. Uh, which is a very good, which is a very good thing, you know. Like in a sports mad country like the states, and as in a sport like rugby, is such a good offering. It's so much better than the and so much more exciting and team focused and things than other American sports. In my bias yeah. opinion, I think it's very cool and the, the potential. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think Max is spot on, and we don't have that participation base like a lot of the other traditional American sports. But even our look at this last season, our our TV numbers are are quite similar to NHL, so hockey, and quite similar wow. to MLS, so soccer in the US, which is which is great. So it's we're we're in the conversation already and we don't have that participation base yet. So that's a really positive sign. 
about the future for care. You know, so I'm CEO of the Free Jacks. If you were in my shoes today, well, this question I ask everybody, what would you be focusing on? I'd be focusing on getting, well, two things, I think. Getting, I think they focused a little bit on the sevens, is getting, getting people aware of the athletes that play professionally in the U.S. So they become recognizable, you know, like, and, and how they fit within that team game. You have like the big rock stars in the U.S. sport. Like, let's, let's get people to know about those rugby players. And then the other one is kids, kids playing rugby at school, rugby for their clubs, sevens in the park, sevens on the beach, you know, like getting, getting kids in the conversation. Cause I think once they, once they, once kids are saying like, oh, hey, mom and dad, can I play rugby? Parents are going, that's so much better because you get to learn how to kick, you get to learn how to pass, you get to learn how to run, you get to learn how to do this. I don't have to buy new pads every every single year. And it's like, it, it's, it becomes, once it's in the, with the kids and, and, and at home, then it's, then it's just like the, the sky's the limit. I think you're spot on. Yeah, b- build heroes on the one end and then make sure that kids are giving an opportunity to connect with those heroes and then actually participate in the sport itself because it's so fun. You know, that's you know certainly the model a lot of the MLR teams are taking. You know, we were at a PE convention on Monday, and 19 more schools, elementary schools, signed up for our kind of rugby in a bag program, which is very cool. And so that's starting to happen in all that's the great. MLR cities, which you know that's that's super cool. Max, how do people get a hold of you? How do they follow you on socials? What's your handle? Where where do you, where do they find you? Uh, so yeah, I'm pretty active on Instagram with rugby and and travel and training. So that's my only real sort of area of social would be at Max J Woodward on Instagram. Wait wait wait, you don't have TikTok where you're dancing with your shirt? Well, I would never rule it out, but TikTok's actually banned in Hong Kong. Really? Oh, the irony. That's amazing. I know. Yeah. The Chinese who make it ban it yeah that's amazing yeah is it what what why why is it banned well there's no is it like, like this is not good for you so we're not going to give it to our own people yeah yeah let's 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 corrupt the rest of the world with uh, this app and we'll keep we'll refrain from using it i think is the it's the general idea that is amazing that's crazy okay well on instagram you can find max again what's the handle uh, max j woodward so yeah first name middle name's john first- my initial Max J and then surname Woodward. Perfect. Everybody, thanks for listening to the latest episode of Full Contact CEO. Stay tuned for a slate of exciting guests, the world of sports, business, and of course, rugby. Don't forget to subscribe and make sure to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook for all the latest updates. Give Max a follow. Max, best of luck in your burgeoning sevens career. You can see Max play on the world sevens circuit the next time Hong Kong is in action is when the next hong kong sevens in at the end of march which is going to be a big 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 event i think it's gonna be massive you might even have to come out